This time on episode 416 of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. We're going to discuss the 1992 X-Men animated series season 3 episodes 1 and 2. We're going to go over some background into X-Men the animated series beast voiced actor George Buzza. And we have special guest Anthony Psycho from Capes on the Couch with some Moon Knight background. I'm Chris Farrell from the All Things Good and Nerdy podcast, a wacky weekend morning show, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out right now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and the opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You have been granted clearance by director Alfonso Mac McKenzie. Stand by for a shield debriefing. All information to be discussed here is classified and may only be discussed among agents granted clearance by the S.H.I.E.L.D. director. Now it's time for a scheduled debriefing. I'm Agent Michelle. I'm Agent Chris. I'm Consultant Anthony. And I'm producer of the show, Director SP. Welcome to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a Marvel Comic Universe fan show discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Comic Book Universes as told on screen by Marvel Studios. The show is recorded on Thursday, March 10th, 2022, live from the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. studios and broadcast Fox Kids Wide via www.geeks.live. Come join our live chat as we record. Hey, gang, happy National Mario Day. Yahoo! Yippee! (laughs) I guess this has been a thing for a while, so... Hey, why not, right? So, got some fun Mario frequently asked questions, and I'm guessing Chris might know the answer, one, because he plays video games, and two, because he has the show notes open, but, so what is the primary setting of the Mario games? Chris? The Mushroom Kingdom. The Mushroom Kingdom, all right. Who is Donkey Kong's sidekick? That's a trick question. There's a lot of Kongs, but it's probably wanting Diddy. Yep. Diddy Kong, right? What color is Mario's shirt? Red. He wears a red shirt. His matching red cap has the letter M on it. And what is the color of Luigi's suit? Shirt. Suit. Shirt. Green. Is a green shirt. Matching cap with an L on it. You do realize Mario's name is Mario Mario, right? No, I did not know that. Super Mario Brothers? Well, right. Listen, gang, I don't play that much Mario, but I know it's big in the lexicon, so I figured y'all did, so I brought it up. National Mario oh, Day. No, and that's no, my brother, Luigi Mario. Yeah, it, it's just it's just some people kind of get that look. It's like, it's like people, then everyone's like, oh, yeah, because it's Super Mario Brothers, not like Super mario's as in possessive brothers and uh, it's yeah. you know what i mean it's like it's, if it was possessive then it would be like mario super brothers luigi and then maybe they would have a different last name but no it's technically mario mario and this tangent's going straight into another castle are you implying the existence of a third mario brother well maybe <laughs> All right, we could talk all about the Mario Brothers on a different podcast or after this podcast is over. In the meantime, we love talking about Marvel. 
because of structural integrity. You'd like to talk to us about structural integrity, engineering, or anything else that's real, you can catch us on our website, legendsofshield.com. If you're one of those unlucky people who decided to build a house right now, and you see the structural integrity lacking from your builders, give us a call first at 844-THE-BUS-1. That's 844-843-2871. You can tweet us about how you're surprised that the subway station is still standing at the end of that episode on Twitter at Legends of Shield. If you want to see some spectacular failures of structural engineering, you can go over to YouTube, watch some things, and then post it on this video in the comments at youtube.com slash gonna geek. If you want to come talk to a bunch of people about how you could have built it better, join our Discord server at gunnageek.com slash Discord. And remember, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a proud member of the gunnageek.com network. Well, you've already heard from him. You've already met him. You've already seen him. But this is the formal welcome to Anthony to Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Anthony, thank you very much for at the very last minute coming on board and you're going to talk later all about Moon Knight. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, SP and, and Chris and Michelle. It's, it's an honor and a, a privilege to be here. Yeah, Chris reached out to me earlier today and he said, do you want to come on and talk Moon Knight? And before he even got to the T in night, I was like, yes. Yes, 8 o'clock, I could do that. Yeah, it'd be like me. SP, do you want to talk about the X? Yes. That's it, the expanse, you know, the X. Yeah, yes. It's all I needed. Yep, all I needed. Anyway, so we'll be talking about Moon Knight later, but first, we're going to continue our discussion about X-Men the Animated Series. Now, we've been doing a personal highlight of the creative team for the last six episodes, actually five episodes, because we didn't do one the first episode, but for the last five episodes, we've been talking about the creative team. Don't worry, we're not done with the creative team. But tonight, Michelle reached out to me this past week and she said, you know, SP, because of the fantastic episodes last week, we need to talk about Beast and the voice actor behind Beast. So I said, sure, go ahead, Michelle. So Michelle, go ahead, take her away. Well, his name, of course, is George Buza. He was born in Cleveland, Ohio, and he later on moved to Canada and eventually has become a Canadian citizen. He has 166 acting credits starting in 1975. Wow. I was barely on this earth. So, <laughs> you know, he talks about growing up in Cleveland in the 1950s and when he was a kid, how he liked comic books and he eventually, of course, liked Star Wars and everything. When it does come to his younger foray into comic books and baseball cards he actually doesn't like to talk about it anymore because his mom threw away his comic book and baseball collection and it hurts him to his core even to this day and george i understand i understand it it's not the first person we ran into that had that same issue several of the creative team had that issue too so i feel for you george so getting into voice acting, he attributes it to really great timing. He was in Toronto, really, when the animation business was starting to get established in Toronto. And he was in plays, and one of the people he was with talked about voice acting, got a meeting with their 
people and eventually just started in it. And his big break is Chief Chirpa from Star Wars Ewoks. That's the 1985 animated show. I don't know if any of you remember that show. Remember it. I didn't watch it very much. I don't think either Chris or Anthony was alive back then, but I could be wrong. I was born in 82, so I was alive. I have more memories of the live action battle for Endor than the cartoons, but I was born in 86 and I'm going to shut my mouth now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Getting over my, I am old moment. (laughs) Uh, He, you know, after Star Wars, he was able to, you know, go from one guest gig to another, getting a few episodes here and there. Then, of course, he gets called in for this audition for this project, and it didn't really have a name, but he said he saw like Project X and he saw Beast and he read comics when he was younger and he put two and two together and realized this is probably an X-Men project. And he auditioned and, of course, he got it. It's really interesting seeing him actually go into the Beast when you see him on panels and everything. It's just it's very subtle how he's changed his voice. It's, you know, kind of like a, just a little deeper and a little bit more enunciated. It's, it's really great. What was interesting about the X-Men recording, usually you record individually. In this case, the cast recorded together as much as possible. And they've talked about on panels how much energy that brought to the recordings and how they could really feed off of each other's emotions and make the episodes richer for it he mentioned that he didn't need to do research for the show because the scripts were so good were so concise so rich everything was there he did not need to feel like he had to go and read comic books all over again when it comes to all the references that beast makes he was an english major in university so some of the references were familiar but he actually admitted that the writers made up a few of those i mean it's a fictional world so they actually had to make up certain authors and so wrote so they could you know fit the theme of the episode his favorite of course beauty and the beast which is the episode we talked about last week he talked about how you know it's all about sacrificing beast feelings for carly making sure that she's safe and how that love was not important he just talked about how deeply he felt that and how he knew how important that episode was going to be. Playing Beast taught him about control. When he was a kid, he was a big kid. He was the fat kid and got bullied. I was the fat kid and got bullied in school. So I really connected with that with you, George. He became the one who ended up telling the jokes. You know, he, one of the reasons why he got into the entertainment industry. And he talks about how with Beast, he learned that you have to control that peace should be an option before resorting to violence and only using violence when it's necessary. For those of you who might not know, he was actually in the first X-Men film. He got a call from his agent. At the audition, someone recognized him as the voice of Beast and told Brian Singer, who was at the table, And Brian Singer mentioned that if it wasn't for the animated series, they probably would not be making that film. And Brian Singer just went, you're the voice of the beast. You're hired. And he got to play the trucker. He got five days worth of work with Anna Paquin and Hugh Jackman. 
when it comes to the impact of X-Men, the animated series, he really didn't know until he started doing conventions, which started around 2019. He's not in social, he's not on social media. No, he just really didn't know. A lot of them really didn't know until they started getting invited to conventions and people talking about the anniversary. And he is flattered and moved and touched by how the impact of this show, how long it has stayed with us and how the audience has grown. And he's talked about actually meeting not only original fans, but their kids. And because of Disney Plus, they're watching everything together. And he's, he, he talked about that as well and how he you know was proud of that. And he gets a lot of people talking about how feeling disenfranchised resonated with them. And if you did feel like an outcast, the X-Men are someone or a team or characters you can get along with. And that's one of the reasons why they've endured, one of the reasons why I've enjoyed the X-Men characters and the show because when you feel like that you need to know that you're not alone and sometimes fictional characters can help you feel not alone so i have a question for you michelle yes it's a question that is going to burn in every single legends of shield listener because we've been talking about it for a while did you run into any information from george on how he felt about his shirtless scenes no i did not I'm sorry. You've disappointed the fandom. Oh, well. I know. I'm so sorry. Especially since we were talking about it last time around. But yeah, if you ever get a chance, I've watched a lot of the convention panels over the last five years that they've been doing, right? If you ever watch George on stage, he's a great actor. He's fun. All the cast really is. Most of them really are. But he actually like embodies the role when he's up there and everything you're looking at him and it's like that's beast so if you ever get a chance to meet george or watch a panel on youtube or something like that i would recommend have you seen panels with him michelle i watched a few of them yes and i see what you mean the cast really they really enjoyed being together they talked about some of the good times that they had and just being together it was just, yeah, they're great on, they're great together. It's great watching them. I mean, this entire show, I can't imagine that people couldn't have had fun doing it because of how well everything works out. And you don't really get a, a giant sense of, you know, this is the most important character because they're all important. They just all have their different times when they're the most important one and they kind of rotate through everything. Yeah. Matter of fact, Beast really wasn't supposed to be if i remember the stories correctly and i could be wrong but beast wasn't supposed to be part of the main team the first season but he was so endeared that they just brought him up to be full time so i think they did a good thing i mean we're in season three we got most of season three left season four and five left so i can't wait to see how the rest of the character pans out now anthony you've been pretty quiet what you're reading on beast so far well you know i this I'm, I'm the guest here, so I didn't want to just jump in. And also, I confess that, you know, I haven't watched panels or I haven't read any of the interviews. My exposure to his credit is just watching the show, you know, back when it was originally on. But to kind of echo everybody else's points, yes, 
you know, the overwhelming majority of the time when I read Beast in comics, it's that voice that I hear just because it's so iconic and so connected to the character. You know, it's like reading Batman and hearing Kevin Conroy in your head, you know, that there's just certain voices that are just so associated with a particular character. And so, I mean, overwhelmingly, I would say when I read X-Men comics, it's either this, you know, it's either these characters or it's the film versions. But for Beast, you know, no discredit to Nicholas Holt or Kelsey Grammer, but it's George Booz's voice that I hear in my head anyway. Same. Always has been. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for giving us the information on George. I look forward to hearing more about the, or reading myself, uh, my research on the rest of the cast. I've already seen a lot of the panels with them, especially the anniversary panels. The cast did several of those, and it's fun watching them all. So if you haven't had a chance to, and you like the X-Men, the animated series, or it gets closer to when X-Men 97 pops up, find a panel with these guys, because even if they're not in the X-Men 97, which I think most of them are supposed to be. But if they're not, then you'll get a sense on the real person behind the voice. All right. So with that, we're going to move on to the discussion of X-Men, the animated series, season three, episodes one and two. Previously on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Here's Hank, who is expected to be this the strong one, the rational one. He looks a certain way and he knows people are going to perceive him a certain way. So he's cultivated this image of very polite, witty, charming, non-threatening. He had spent so much time with Carly and yet he is surprised that she knows he is a mutant and surprised that she can recognize him by his smell. The aftershave. That Beast was the joke, yes. Doesn't shave. That was the joke. <sighs> you think it's pointless. Up until the point when next season, we've seen moments throughout this season, they've been very tiny. Also, my lesson for that episode is never, ever, ever go to the mall when the X-Men are going to be there because bad things happen when the X-Men go to the mall. That clip was brought to you by the amazing Chris. Thank you again for doing the editing on that, Chris. Anyway, X-Men the Animated Series Season 3, Episodes 1 and 2 premiered on Fox Kids in the summer, late summer of 20 or er, of 1994. Out of the Past Part 1 was Saturday, July 29th, and Out of the Past Part 2 was Saturday, August 5th. Coinciding with the fall, but getting out of the head of the fall programs. Michelle, why don't you run down what happened in these episodes? Out of the past part one, Wolverine is lured into the Morlock tunnels by a former level lover who is accompanied by a group of cybernetic mercenaries called Reavers. Wolverine discovers this woman he used to love isn't the woman he once knew as she's gone through the same cybernetic alterations that the Reavers have and a new moniker calling herself Lady Deathstrike. She has discovered a long-buried alien craft and needs Wolverine's adamantium claws to cut it open. Out of the Past Part 2 After being released from an alien spacecraft, a being called the Spirit Drinker starts draining the life force of the people around it, including the Reavers, Lady Deathstrike, and Jubilee. Can the X-Men figure out the secret destroying it before the drained life forces are gone forever? 
All right. Season three starts off. Chris, first thoughts. Wolverine has such an interesting backstory and the way that this show follows the comics of just kind of giving you little pieces here and there. And, oh yeah, here's a person that I used to know. So nobody else knows any of this. It's just Wolverine. Of course I had a former lover and now she's just somebody I used to know. Hey, let's introduce space stuff by giving you a love story and a revenge plot. This is a very intriguing introduction to Lady Deathstrike, and it's very interesting to see the way in which this may potentially influence or impact the later films, that specifically X2 and X-Men Origins Wolverine. After being separated for the majority of season two, the gang's all back together, all as one team, and you get that in the episodes. As a matter of fact, you get a very provocative basketball playing episode, right? And then you get the familiar mutant group, the underground mutant group with the Morlocks. And then you get the spaceship. Woohoo! I'm all about the space stuff, as you guys know. So I think it was a great way to kick off season three. Now, I think the most important thing that happened in these episodes is the convoluted past of Logan's love life, right, Michelle? Yes. I think I have the timeline correct. Before Wolverine was Wolverine, he was believed Japan, falls in love with Yumiko, says those infamous lines of, don't worry, baby. I'll be back. Goes to Canada because of people he can't say no to. Ends up getting captured. The animantium. He breaks out. Ends up finding the married couple. I really thought his type was just redheads who were already in a committed relationship. Finds out Yumiko, not a redhead in a committed relationship beforehand. So I guess, you know, sometimes maybe it was the animantium, maybe it was the moment, who knows. Eventually, Wolverine does go back to Yumiko, you know, tries to find her. She's not around. And sometime in between then and now, she gets herself augmented because she believes that Wolverine killed her father. So she gets this treatment because she's Indigo Montoya. My name is Lady Deathstrike. You killed my father. Prepare to die. That's the thing, though. Wolverine did go back. He wasn't just throwing out words with empty promises and everything. He went and tried to go back. I mean, yes, her father, in a kind of tangentially roundabout way, tried to keep that from happening. But it wasn't Wolverine's fault it took so long to go back. And he tried. And then she went completely overboard trying to be like him and get in position to kill him. Let me ask you this, Chris. Do you ever go away for a long summer or, you know, deploy with the military or some humanitarian group for a while and have a girlfriend back at home? Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever done that? You mean like, have I ever spent more than 15 minutes away from my cats? Yeah. Have, have they sent you a Dear John letter? I think the closest is that they decided it took too long for me to clean the litter box because we were gone for a long weekend. Mm, I bet you they were mad. They were. Thankfully, they only have a few spots where they show that anger. 
and perhaps a little irrational? Just a bit. Like, yes, I'm so happy to see you. Now I'm going to bite your hand. Not that women are irrational. I don't get me wrong here. Yeah, but this is the male cat that does it. Yeah. So the <laughs> the separation of people that have affections for each other starts to get to the point of why are you away from me? I need you here. And now I'm mad at you. And I guess that's where Yuriko is. She's mad at Logan for being away, whether it was his fault or not. And that just that happens in real life. If you're a trucker on the road and you're away for a couple of months, say you're an ice road trucker. So I used to watch that show. Say you're an ice road trucker and you're away for like three months because that's where you make all the dough, right? And you come back and your girlfriend or wife or whatever is like, where have you been? I'm not going to do this again. Goodbye. I, that, that's what we're talking about here. Oh, I just think she went overboard by making herself all techno organic. That's not overboard. That's just, that's sexy. It's the whole, I think you killed my father. Her father, just so you know, was involved in the animantium. And this, it's the whole blame cycle. You left me. You got animantium put into your skeleton. My father was involved in that. Just because you now have an animantium skeleton doesn't mean you had to go kill him. Wolverine is, I did not kill him. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm sorry your dad's dead. But she's like, no, no, no. You killed him. Leech stilled something from me. Therefore, that's why I can invade this place. And now the spaceship's mine and you need to die. And it's all your fault. That's Lady Deathstrike. It's all your fault. But also, I need you to open up the ship for me because I can't do it. So it's like Anakin in episode three. No, they skipped three and went straight from two to four. <laughs> three, what, what is this three you speak of? There, there's just three Star Wars movies. I don't know what you're talking about. Anthony, the secret behind that is I've only seen episode three, well, until a couple of years ago, once. And it was in the theater. And then I was doing, it was about a year ago, right? When I was doing all the Star Wars rewatch, if you guys remember that. I watched it again and I said it was going to be the second and last time that I ever watched it. So I'm with you. I get it. But. Anyway, yeah, you're right, Michelle. It's the father that's the driving factor here, and you killed my father. Yes, absolutely. And I don't really blame her because, I mean, if she's the hero of the story, we'd be on her side with all this. Like, yeah, Logan's surely at fault because we would see things from her perspective, right? So I don't think we can blame her necessarily. For getting there. Now, some of the actions she takes during these episodes we can blame her for, but I don't think we can blame her for getting to the point where she's at. Well, it's like, you know, when I say to my kid, I, I'm not going to get angry at you for feeling like you're entitled to your feelings and I'm never going to try and dissuade you from feeling, but I can't let you take certain actions as a result of those feelings. Like, you want to be mad? That's fine. You can be upset about it. I can't let you throw things at the cat because you're angry. I can't let you hit me because you're angry. So it's, it's a very clear line that you never want to diminish someone's feelings, and she has every right to mourn the loss of her father, but turning around and going through the whole body modification things and so on and so forth, I mean, we would have a field day with this on my show, talking about the psychological impacts of grief and the expressions of that and whether or not that's healthy. So, yeah, that's the grief is okay. What you do with it, that's what defines you. What do you think her weekly pedicure bills are? 
Do you think she even has fingernails to worry about, though? I mean, that's what it's the whole thing, right? Well, it just looks like they're just extensions. Also, it looks like the hands themselves are massively larger. Like all of a sudden at the wrist, she's got like these giant Disney sized hands coming out of it and then the claws extending off of it. It's it's kind of a disconcerting look. Do you think at Disney World they're going to sell those big, you know, how they sell the big, as you were saying, the Disney hands, the Mickey Mouse hands? You think they'd sell Lady Deathstrike hands? That'd be cool. No, because. One kid's just going to use them to pop a balloon or, you know, attack somebody on the It's a Small World ride, and then that's a lawsuit waiting to happen. It's not necessarily because money. I mean, if they attack the It's a Small World ride itself, that would be cool. Yeah, I'm okay with that, but likely they would just, you know, attack one of the operators. Make the music stop! Slash. All right, all right. I guess the figurines would be okay, too. But That is a good question. Where... Does her hand stop? Like her fingers are her are her phalanges still there with claws just attached to them? Or all or were her phalanges all extended and now they're claws? I like the word phalanges. This plane is missing the phalanges. <laughs> Friends reference, sorry. It's the first thing that popped into my head. Friends references are okay. I watched the anniversary special. I mean, yeah. Okay. All right. So let's talk about the basketball scene because it was, you know, the top gun volleyball scene. I was just about to make that. Yes. I was just about to be like, this is their version of the top gun volleyball sequence. So I was in the military about that time and I had some dog tags and I went to the beach and played volleyball with dog tags as did like. 20 of my friends. So, yeah, it's a thing. But with respect to the basketball game, powers or not, Gambit, just based on on a size ratio, should be able to mop the floor with Logan. I mean, nothing against Muggsy Bogues or Spud Webb, but just in general, Logan is, I think, canonically 5'3", maybe 5'4". Gambit is... I don't know how tall Gambit is, but he's taller than that. You just box Logan out, you force him to the outside, and then as soon as the shot leaves his hands, you just Dikembe Mutombo, uh-uh-uh, that's it. You just you box him out, and you force him to put, try to get inside. I don't know. I, I'm not much of a basketball guy, but I'd imagine just on a, on a pure physicality spectrum that Gambit is going to be able to whoop Logan's Canadian booty pretty easily. They were really shiny. And that was the first thing Kaylee noticed. And I was kind of wondering if this was the beginning of the animation downfall in quality. And I don't think it is. I think just for whatever reason, somebody wanted to make the X-Men really, really shiny. But the weird part is that Jubilee was also really shiny, but I'm not sure that she was actually playing. I thought I got the idea that she was just out there with them, kind of watching them play, which makes sense. Because those two guys were really, really shiny. It's very much a one-on-one game. What happened was J.J. Abrams was on the animation team over in South Korea, and he was just using lens flares. So that's what you saw. You didn't see shiny people. You saw lens flares. Mm, That explains it. But seriously, the change in animation didn't really happen until the fifth season, but they did cut corners where they could. 
when because they just didn't have the money that Batman the animated series did. So you might be a little right there. Like you said, it was their Top Gun moment. We learned that Wolverine doesn't like to lose because, again, the claws come out and let's pop a hole in the basketball. So let's think about this for a second. So Gambit is shirtless and Logan is shirtless. So you got at least two to add to our shirtless count, right, Chris? That is right. I mean, we can't count Beast because we said we weren't going to count Beast. So it's down to Scott, Logan, and Gambit, right? I suppose Xavier, too. Of course, Beast was in a suit this episode when he went to the art gallery. Beast is making it really hard to not count him. Yeah, I suppose so. All right. Okay, so we get weird space stuff, right? I have no idea what this monster is. I have not canonically run into this monster at any point in time that I can remember, either on the film or in the little comics that I read. But at the end of this whole thing, they're talking about this next big arc. I mean, they announce it's the first time we get an arc announced. This is taking us into a direction which we have not been on this show for two seasons. So if I'm coming into the show as a watcher and I've seen the first two seasons, I'm like, oh, wow, they're going forward. And if I was able to go to a comic book store, you know, I could go to the comic book store and, and, and look up what happened and maybe get some trades or something like that to catch up on the story because this is turning into something that's pretty cool. But it starts with this weird space stuff. And I have no idea what this monster is. Yeah, neither do I at all. I don't either. Me for. Okay. So it's just a one-off, really. It might have been in a comic at some point, I guess. I don't know. I definitely think that the name, what's it? The Soul, the Spirit Drinker. I feel like that was very much a standards and practices. Like, let's try and go as edgy as we can, but not too edgy, because anything that's really scary... We're not going to allow, which is ironic, I think, given that they're also introducing Lady Deathstrike in the same episode. But I think she at least had the cover of being a comics character, so they were bringing that over. But Spirit Drinker, I think, is just one of those things that somebody in standards and practices and marketing were like, we need to come up with something that sounds dangerous, but that isn't terribly scary for the kids. Spirit Drinker. Yeah, let's go with that. You know, that the name to me, I was just like, that's that's an unusual name, even for an X-Men villain. And the lesson of these two episodes is obviously don't touch the third rail when you get on the subway. Don't do it because that will even kill this monster on X-Men. So, yeah, that's if there was a lesson for this, you know, if Stanley was reading, the, we talked about that before. If Stanley was reading the lesson, it'd be like, and kids, don't touch the third rail. We're not going to just gloss over the fact that one of the Reavers is half tank, are we? Yeah, well, I was going to talk about the Reavers and the Morlocks, but yeah, let's talk about the Reavers, because this is the first time we've seen Reavers on the camera, right, Chris? Yeah, this is definitely the first time we've seen them in the series. Uh, the Reavers are definitely real in comics, and they are crazy, and they are just as much fun as you would think from seeing them in the show, and yes, the guy that is half tank is real. I thought that was amazing here are these guys and the guy in the tank probably the first time i watched it i'm like wow but i've played in a rifts game for three years and someone 
being half organic and having a tank for underbody. It's like we fought somebody like that just this past season. It's like, you know, we were fighting king crabs and all these other things. So seeing the reverse now, it's like, you know, during my Rifts game, we, we met people like that. And I was like, I was not completely shocked. <laughs> yeah, this was one of those things where it was like, okay, uh, full confession. I'm not a big X-Men comic reader. So my knowledge of the Reavers in the 616 is incredibly limited. But it was just a situation where I was under the impression that it was just they were characters there and they i was like okay maybe they're from the comics but i just thought it was an excuse for wolverine to slash the bejesus out of them because he could attack and cut off all of their metallic limbs without causing any blood so it was like oh wolverine's going ham on these guys but it's okay because they can just piece the metal back together so it's a way to show that wolverine was kind of berserking on them without violently you know, showing any real violence, so to speak. Yeah, you had a lot of standards and practice compromises going on because this is a Saturday morning cartoon show versus, you know, what you would see on a rated R film or maybe in some adult versions of the comics or higher rated versions of the comics. One thing that I noticed, though, is, you know, they're stuck down there. They're going to the ship or Logan is running to the ship, right? And then they're followed by Gambit and Jubilee, you know, still in their cars and you know, the Jeep and the sports car, whatever. But Gambit and Jubilee walk by these Morlocks as they're being captured and held to the wall by those glowing nets, right? They don't even bother to, like, free just one. I mean, if you see a bunch of prisoners and you've dealt with them before, you've seen them before, you'd want to cut them loose, so at least one, so that the one could work for the others. In the end, it really doesn't matter because they all get sucked by the, the soul sucker, right? But you would think, that they would try to let even one go. And they're like, no, let's let's go, Cherie. We need to get to Logan here. I'm like, okay, I get the urgency, but one? You could let one go. Especially because you have Gambit, and he can just charge that net and bust him out that way. Because, I mean, you already saw he can do that. That's how he got himself out later. And in the moment, I thought that kind of made sense for them to just go what gets me more is when they didn't even try to help anybody on the way out. Yeah. This episode, there's no storm. It starts with Callisto wanting to take back control from storm. Callisto is just in charge because storm's not there, but the X-Men know the Morlocks are allies. They know they're storms people. So on a level, I was just, why aren't you at least helping one of them? Like you said, I can see maybe not Callisto, but a couple of the others you already know. And they're Storm's people. If Storm was there, she would be upset that they didn't try to help their friends. Yeah, it was very much like, we. Uh, I think Gambit said at one point, like, there are many, we are too. But... You've got allies there that can help you. Maybe it'll, it's not going to even the odds, but it'll give you a better chance at least so you can say, hey, I'll free one and you can give us intel and then we can come back for the, for the others. Got to make at least some token effort to, to try and rescue them. And Chris, you brought up the thing about Gambit exploding the net. The net is on him and he's exploding the net on him. 
is there any way that that explosion comes back on him? I mean, I guess it could, but that's also your chance if you're just annoyed at Callisto enough. Hey, you know, I'll get yours and then maybe the net will pop back on you a little bit. Yeah, I suppose so. Oh, this was kind of a fun start to the season. Like it was late summer, you know, getting into the fall. I think this was a good start because, again, you have the marquee at the end that there's a big saga coming up and for, for those people that know the comics you're like oh this is great for the people that don't know the comics you're like oh something big's coming at least right so yeah I, it was decent i enjoyed it looking forward to what comes next especially since y'all have been saying what comes next is really cool but i wouldn't have known that at the time so yeah i'm all i'm all for this so yeah michelle what'd you think of the start of this third season Considering what's next, it was a good way, again, to get a character moment with Wolverine and introduce the weird space stuff, because at the end, Xavier is having this connection with the alien technology. He's able to read, and he's able to tell everyone that there are forces out there that are strong, and he could never imagine before. It was a really good way of saying, hey, weird space stuff is coming in 20 minutes i don't feel like this is going to be too much of a spoiler but i feel like this is a very good like seemingly just a day at the beach episode of an anime where yeah there's nothing really important going on we're just kind of filling time because we have to get a episode count out and then it just real sneaky gets into a good introduction for what is about to be showing up on our screens. Yeah, Anthony, before I give you your last thoughts here, you have something in the show notes about the infusion scene and we haven't covered that yet. So I want to give you a chance to talk about the infusion scene. This is actually the second time that we've seen it in the series, but what were your thoughts on it? Well, it was just interesting to see because I mean, I had seen this, you know, many, many moons ago but I had forgotten what it looked like. And then everything had been colored by the, the Fox films. So that's the, you know, when I think of Wolverine's adamantium infusion, that's what I picture. I picture Hugh Jackman with the needles and coming up out of the water and the six pack abs and the rage and this and that. This was a much more sanitized version. It was basically like, a temporary tattoo that comes that goes on the outside that just sort of melds into his skin. And I get that they couldn't show, they couldn't go into that level of detail for obvious standards and practice purposes. But the thing that I found interesting was the escape from the compound after the infusion was completed was similarly destructive in a, in a certainly much more toned down sense. But the idea that Logan proceeds to go feral on the equipment and the people trying to stop him and contain him was very reminiscent to me of the way it was portrayed in a lot of the flashbacks in X2 and Origins and things of that nature. So again, it's a situation where I'm fairly certain that the writers and the creators and the film series at least looked at these episodes and said, okay, how can we make this, how can we take this nugget of an idea and then make it fit 
into our film universe in a way that is organic and realistic while also still paying some level of homage to the versions that came before. So looking at it with a modern eye and growing up with the films, it was interesting to get that spin on it as well versus somebody who may have seen this in 1994 and had obviously no reference for the films. It was just, like I said, something that that I picked up on immediately when I was watching it. Yeah. It's interesting how much comes from, you you see the connections from the comics to the series and how I've talked about how the movies, like they've tried to come take from the show, but the show just did it better. And when it comes to the next arc, you're going to see another reason why this show is better than the movies. More so than anything else that we've seen, though, I think that this infusion scene really hammers in the fact that at least in this instance of X-Men lore for the show, Wolverine does not have bone claws. And that makes me sad. All right, so we're going to close off our discussion of these two episodes. Next time, we will be talking about Season 3, Episodes 3 through 7, which is basically the Phoenix Saga Parts 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. We're going to cover the whole thing, so make sure you watch all five episodes or you're familiar with all five episodes before you listen to our next episode. In the meantime, as teased... We have a very special segment here. Anthony has agreed to come on. We've been talking to him for a little bit, but he's agreed to come on to give us a primer, especially for those that aren't familiar with Moon Knight. So we're going to get into that in just a second. All right, Anthony, you are very well versed in Moon Knight, which I have to say none of us really are. I mean, Chris has brought forth basically your knowledge that you've given to him, and he's brought forth a little bit of that. It, uh, we need a little bit more in depth because we're going to cover this series in depth on this show. So we want to know more about Moon Knight. So what can you tell us about Moon Knight? So Moon Knight is a... I would say high C list to low B list character in the Marvel comics universe. I would uh, venture to say he's never gotten any higher than a low B lister. And to me, at least personally, that's one of the things that, uh, that I find endearing about him. So in any case, Moon Knight was created in 1975 and his first appearance was Werewolf by Night number 32. It was created by Don Perlin and Doug Mensch, and his original appearance is in a two-part story, so it's Werewolf by Night, number 32 and 33, and he is a mercenary named Mark Spector, who is going after the title character of the book, Werewolf by Night, Jack Russell, who, as you can well imagine by the name, is a werewolf who transforms in the evening, and so the committee is this group of high-ranking business people and things of that nature, and they want to capture Jack so they can torture him and use him as a weapon and things of that nature. And so Mark Spector, Moon Knight, is the mercenary that has been hired to bring 
Jack into the committee. And so he wears a suit clad in all silver, which silver harms werewolves, you know, as is often uh, used in the mythology, except that once Moon Knight captures Jack and hands him over to the committee, he realizes that they plan on kind of abusing Jack and things of that nature. And so there's this sort of face turn at the very end of the, the second issue where he basically lets Jack out and he's like, hey, I didn't sign up for this. So I'm still going to take your money, but I'm not going to sign up for this. And he releases Jack. And so Jack is able to escape and, of course, continue on with, you know, his adventures throughout the rest of the comic. And the reception to Moon Knight was such that they said, okay, we've got something, something interesting here, something special. And so over the next couple of years, they introduced Moon Knight in additional comics. He had a couple of runs in Marvel Spotlight where the backstory and more information was provided because his intro in the Werewolf by Night series is very limited because he wasn't the title character. You know, he was just this character that was intended really to be introduced in just this two-part story. But as I said, the reception from the fans was so great that they said, okay, we're going to build upon this and we'll utilize him more. So he was given some spots in Marvel Spotlight and then he got he was a team member in the Defenders for a while. And so in 1980, he got his own solo series written by Doug Mensch and drawn by the legendary Bill Sienkiewicz, who at this point in his career was still very much in the mold of a Neil Adams clone. And Bill will be the first to tell you that himself. It wasn't until later on in his career, and at least over the course of the Moon Knight book, that Bill really began to establish his own artistic individuality. So Moon Knight as a character is born Mark Spector. He is the son of a rabbi who goes off and joins the CIA and he leaves the the military. He's a Marine. He's in the CIA. He leaves that to become a mercenary. And while on patrol in Egypt, he's working with this man named Raoul Bushman who has a basically a skull in some versions it's a skull in other versions it's like it's a death's head tattooed on his face and Bushman has his teeth filed down into fangs and they are patrolling this Egyptian burial site because Bushman believes that there is a lot of money to be had there and they encounter these archaeologists who are digging up the various relics and stuff from the tomb. And Bushman says, well, I'm going to take all of this stuff and proceeds to indiscriminately begin to kill these innocent people. And Mark, at this point, has had enough, and he decides that he's going to fight Bushman, who basically beats him up and leaves him for dead in the desert outside of this pyramid. And so Mark is resurrected by the Egyptian god of the moon, Khonshu, and he is given these abilities, which come and go in the comics, but he deems himself the moon's knight of vengeance, and he later just refers to himself as moon knight, and 
he returns to the United States and in typical 1980s fashion, they just sort of hand wave this notion that he was Mark Spector. Now he's Moon Knight. He's also now created these two additional identities for himself, that of Jake Lockley, who is a cab driver, and Stephen Grant, who is a multimillionaire. And somehow or other, he's managed to amass this for, it's a small fortune with his mercenary funds, and they sort of state that he's very ruthless, and he uses that ruthless mindset in the business world to amass this fortune, and through the Jake Lockley identity, he drives a cab around, and he picks up on all these seedy doings on the street, and he uses that intel, coupled with his resources as Stephen Grant, to fund this Moon Knight identity that he uses to fight crime. And his girlfriend is Marlene Aureon, whose father was one of the head Egyptologists, one of the head archaeologists who was killed by Bushmen during the attack in Egypt. And so she joins Mark and they sort of come together to, because they have a similar mindset in that they're both seeking vengeance against Bushmen. And so the end of the first episode or the first issue, rather, Moon Knight beats Bushman and leaves him, again, kind of lying on the floor. And so Moon Knight's whole shtick is that in the early comics, he becomes more powerful by the light of the moon and by the phases of the moon. So when it's a full moon night, he is ridiculously strong. In a new moon, he's only slightly more powerful than your average human. That, I believe, was given to him through the bite of a werewolf that ended up later being hand-waved away. So that's the background. I also failed to mention his sidekick and his pilot, Frenchie, Jean-Paul Duchamp, who flies the Mooncopter, which is, yes, a moon-shaped helicopter because he goes hard on the moon motif. He's got the crescent darts. He's got the moon-shaped copter, his cape often ends up in the shape of a crescent. And so throughout the early 80s, he has the solo run. It gets canceled. And then there's some spurts on and off. His longest ongoing solo series is Mark Spector, Moon Knight, which runs through most of the late 80s into the early 90s. Parts of it are very, very good. And then parts of this run are astonishingly bad. We're talking... 90s. It is one of the most 90sest comics I've ever read. And I say 90s in the sense that for those of you who've read comics and know what I'm talking about, that early 90s gritty aesthetic where it's just everybody looks like they're on roids and the facial expressions are gritted teeth. It's, it's bad and the writing is just bad and terrible. I lived through the 90s. You just described the 90s there. That's not comic books. That's That was real life in the 90s. Everybody was on roids and everybody had that stare and it was just a thing. Yeah. Well, you're not entirely wrong. So then in 2006, he is brought back because at this point, again, through the, the late 90s and early 2000s, we really don't see much of Moon Knight. Then in 2006, there is a a six-issue run. He gets a solo series again, but the first six issues, the storyline is called The Bottom, and it's written by 
Charlie Houston, who was a crime noir typewriter and is drawn by David Finch. And uh, for those of you watching on the live stream, I actually have two pieces by David Finch over my shoulder because Finch's representation of Moon Knight has come to be one of the most iconic versions of the character that we've seen. And the crux of the story is that Moon Knight has essentially alienated himself. Mark has alienated himself from all of his allies. He's left with no one. Marlene has left him. All he has is his butler and his maid. He is essentially uh, crippled because his legs were broken in a horrifically brutal fight with Bushman in which he says, this is the last time I'm going to fight him. And he carves Bushman's face off of his skull. Okay. Yeah, this is, it's not, it's not for kids. So this is the second time you've mentioned Bushman. And I just want to remind our listeners that we've covered Bushman before because he was in the Defender series. Yes. Well, as a foe of Moon Knight. Well, no, that, that was Bushmaster. That's what, oh. yeah, I was about to say. Master. Yes, because I was thinking the Defenders TV series, yes, that was Bushmaster. Okay. This is Raul Bushmen. You got to keep me straight here because I go all over the place. That's okay. That's fine. So he carves off Bushman's face. He breaks both of his legs. So now he's essentially in a wheelchair and he's saying to Khonshu, why have you, essentially, why have you forsaken me? You know, I did all this for you. And you haven't done anything for me. And so Khonshu, as a character throughout the comics history prior to this, had been not really all that apparent in Moon Knight's life. He doesn't really show up all that often. It's usually just as this sort of voice in the back of Moon Knight's head. And occasionally he shows up to grant Mark some powers or take them away. And he often shows up when we're dealing with the large cosmic scales, because Khonshu is, is a god in the sense that the Egyptian pantheon of gods in Marvel Comics are quote-unquote real. But this is the first series where we see Khonshu as really a mainstay character who, in essence, both prods Moon Knight and also taunts him. And basically says, yes, I did everything for you because you are me. And so there's this argument that Mark and Conchu have back and forth where Mark is like, basically, I hate you because you ruined my life. And Conchu shows him the definition of avatar in the dictionary and says, you are me. And I brought you back before and essentially snaps his fingers kills Mark and then brings him back again and goes, I can play you like a puppet on a string at any given point. It's a meta reference on the idea that Moon Knight had been forgotten in the Marvel Universe for quite some time, and he makes his his triumphant return. And so over the course of that six-issue run and the, the following run on that and subsequent runs, we see Moon Knight make a larger return into the Marvel Universe from that point on, he gets some high-profile appearances and joins the Secret Avengers for a time, which is where we first meet the Mr. Knight persona. And this is Moon Knight dressed up in an all-white three-piece suit with just this 
full-faced balaclava look thing with a crescent on the forehead. But it's otherwise Moon Knight dressed as a civilian, as I said, in a very snazzy three-piece suit. Fast forward to, I want to say about 2012, 2013, Warren Ellis, who I'm not going to get into a lot of the other stuff regarding Warren Ellis, but had a very critically acclaimed, well-received run, a six-issue run on Moon Knight with art by Declan Shalvey. And this was essentially six separate stories about Moon Knight, not really focused on any large arc narrative, just Moon Knight going out, doing things by his lonesome. He is by himself, and he is largely in the Mr. Knight persona. That is his, at this point, his frontward-facing dealing with the public is he's largely known as Mr. Knight and then dons a updated black and white costume as Moon Knight. Side note, I did cosplay as that version of Moon Knight. I went to New York Comic Con 2013 dressed in that version. I met Declan Shalvey. I took photos with him. He was absolutely blown away to see his version of a character come to life. So that was a very cool moment for me. All right. So since we're talking about cosplaying costumes and stuff, you're talking about his all white suit. So I have a couple of questions. First of all, was he wearing it after Labor Day? Yes. <laughs> he wears that's that's his his thing all the time. So fashion faux pas right there. And then second of all, does he never sit down? Because I'm thinking that thing's got to get dirty if he sits down. So like he's got to be standing up the entire time. Well, he's you know, at this point they've sort of reestablished that he's gotten money because in the Ellis run, he's driving around in a self-driving limousine. So he's managed to reestablish some semblance of uh, financial independence, shall we say. And so that run was very well received. There's been some on and offs. Uh, the less said about the Max Bemis run, the better. He had a recent appearance in the Avengers, the mainline Avengers book written by Jason Aaron, wherein Age of, the storyline was called Age of Khonshu where Khonshu decided that the Phoenix was coming in and needed to be stopped. And in order to do that, Khonshu needed to take over the world to protect it from the Phoenix. And so he had, he imbued Mark with all these abilities. Mark beat up Dr. Strange. He managed to take control of Mjolnir under the argument that Uru, the stone that Mjolnir is built from, comes from the moon and therefore is under the control of Khonshu, and therefore Moon Knight is able to wield it? Wait a minute. So you're telling me Meow Meow is made of cheese? (laughs) Oh my goodness. I don't even know where to begin with that, how to unpack that statement. Um, So so he... uh, No, it is not made of cheese. I'll just say that. Okay. But he calls it Meow Meow, because everybody does, after Kat Dennings did. I mean, come on. So he gets the spirit of the panther because he beats Black Panther. He gets the the Ivagamoto from from Doctor Strange, and he basically becomes this all powerful super guy. And he's kicking butt left and right, and it takes the entire Avengers to be able to put him down. And then he's like, "I was doing it because of Conchu." So Conchu is now imprisoned in Asgard, and so in the current run, which is ongoing, and I think just came out with issue nine last week. He is running the Midnight Mission, where he's got a basically an office on the street 
and anybody can come in and seek his protection because he is protecting the travelers of the night. That is his mission as given to him by Khonshu and that is as he perceives himself to do the best good. And he is fighting against basically, again, werewolves, vampires, any sort of supernatural baddies. Moon Knight as a character is best when he's fighting street level or slightly supernatural level threats. He's not the kind of guy that goes off into space and does the Avengers stuff. He's the kind of guy where there's some ghosts that are possessing people. And then as in the Ellis Shelby run, he will don all of this bone gear and this ancient Egyptian garb and the skull, this giant bird skull that Khonshu had bestowed upon him, and he will punch ghosts in the face. That's, to me, one of the best uses of Moon Knight as a character. All right, so getting into his past, you know, way back when, you were saying he goes kind of all out on the moon theme, right? So he's got Mm -hmm. a, a moon copter, he's got moon crescent throwing things and stuff like that. It reminds me, yeah, yeah, it reminds me a lot about a, a DC, a small, obscure DC character. Don't called, say it. Don't say called, it. Called, called, I, well, I, I'm, I'm saying it because I'm going to ask you a question. Batman. And I've heard a lot of people compare it. So what is your answer to that? My answer is that there is very little comparison. Yes, on a superficial level, they dress up in costumes, they go out at night, and they're rich. And I would argue that that is essentially where the comparison ends that Batman does what he does because he's trying to, you know, strive for good. And he's trying to fight for the memory of his parents. And because of of things of that nature, Moon Knight fights because Khonshu wills it. And because he's really fighting against the darkness in himself, Batman has the very clear, no kill rule. Moon Knight will kill you. It's not something he does indiscriminately, but he's not the Punisher, but he's not Spider-Man. Moon Knight will kill you if it comes down to it. And I haven't even gotten into the whole discussion about dissociative identity disorder that's really taken root as of the past 10 or so years with the character. I was wondering, why do you think they picked Moon Knight for a TV show? Because it seems as though as I start Oscar Isaac is playing Stephen Mark, and he doesn't have the memories and such. So why do you think they've picked Moon Knight and taking that aspect of the story and making it into a TV show? So when Moon Knight was created, as I said, it was very much a, he's Mark Spector, and then he's given the powers in the name of Moon Knight by Khonshu. And then also he comes home and he's Stephen Grant and Jake Lockley. And it's just these identities that he has. And so throughout the early 80s, it's really a situation where it's kind of almost played for laughs in a sense, but the identities are really just the facade around which that we're supposed to believe that he's really Mark. And Moon Knight and Stephen and Jake are these other personas and identities that he undertakes to get what it is that he wants. It's only really been, I would venture, in the last 15 or so years that this notion has come up that the Stephen and Jake and Mark and Moon Knight are not identities, but rather personalities living within inside the skull 
or the being of Mark Spector. And to various degrees of success, writers have mined that for drama. There was a fantastic run by Jeff Lemire from, I want to say, about seven or eight years ago that really, I think, did a fantastic job of telling that story that these are various identities that are given to him because Khonshu invaded his mind and his mind fractured, and this is how he's dealing with it. And in the end, he basically kind of merges everybody together in the sense that he tells Khonshu, I don't need you because I'm comfortable with who I am, despite whatever you've done to me. The Max Bemis run, I think, tried to mine that more as a way to speak about mental illness and using Max's own struggles with mental illness as a way to put that onto the page. The current run has him currently speaking to a recurring mental health therapist. So they talk about the identities and things of that nature. So why did they go with Moon Knight as a show? I think it was to utilize the fact that this is the ongoing discussions about DID and and mental health are very prevalent in society. And so I think they're using the character as a statement piece on mental health and to take it down a path that hasn't really been used in the MCU to this point. We've seen characters struggle with occasional grief. We've seen them deal with loss. We've seen them deal with many standard emotions. What I think this show is going to do that no other MCU property has done at all is really delve into the dichotomy of what it takes to be the individual and the superhero and do it in a visually distinctive manner and really go hard into that angle on the DID. So that's kind of where I foresee this going and using, uh, obviously, a lister like Oscar Isaac to portray him really just shows the level of faith, for lack of a better term, that Marvel has in Moon Knight as a character. I was going to ask you if you thought they were going to bring that aspect out or if they were just going to use the multiple identity. It seemed like to me, especially in the initial trailers, where he has no memory of the other personality, that they really were going to go into the disassociated of identity disorder. Yes. It is very apparent that they are portraying this as that they are portraying Stephen as a fugue state for Mark Spector. And that's why in the, the one trailer and the accent and everything, and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm Stephen. And he's on the phone and they're like, what are you doing, Mark? And he's like, why did you call me Mark? Like the accent and everything, I'm, I'm not going to get into the accent, but it's done to show that this is very much a, a dissociation from who Mark really is as a person. And what I'm seeing as more and more of the trailers and more of the, more of the media comes out, that we're going to learn what triggered that break, that what caused this mental schism for him to break off. And I think that Ethan Hawke's character is going to play a, a large part in trying to use that, that schism 
for his own nefarious purposes because, you know, that's what villains do. But I think that's where they're going with that is we're going to start, dare I say, almost in media res where he's going to be Stephen and we're going to learn throughout the course of the series who he was as Mark before that and what led to this break and sort of the coming together in the acceptance of Mark and Stephen and Moon Knight all inhabiting the same body and how do all of these various aspects of his his mind coexist in a healthy manner. So that's the part that I'm kind of intrigued by with respect to the the series. There are parts, and, and, and Chris and I have had conversations offline, there are parts of the series that I'm very much not looking forward to, but that is one where I say, okay, I'm curious to see where they're going to go with this. Yeah, from a personal experience with a Marvel show, debatable on whether it's MCU or not, I guess we'll learn soon enough, but Jessica Jones, especially in the first season, with the whole Purple Man thing, that was a very, very dark depiction of mental strength, for lack of a better term, Uh, really doing it a disservice by calling it that, but that was not Disney Plus or the MCU at the time going into that. This will be the first time that the MCU itself, because they've said that this is quote unquote canon in the MCU, will be dealing with this. Plus, it's going to be on Disney Plus, which is definitely a Disney property, definitely a Marvel property. So I'm very curious as to how they're going to be able to pull this off now that I know a little bit more about the character. And I've heard we've covered some Chris has brought forth some news now and then about the director and and how the director or the showrunner was thinking about this and it's not your standard mcu thing but they're trying to bring humor into it so i i'm just really curious as to the final appearance the final product how that's going to look and where they want to go because also by bringing this character forward it's my opinion that they want to bring this character into the MCU. This is not just a one-off. This is an introduction of the character into the MCU, at least for the next few years. Oh, yeah. You're not, you don't get somebody like Oscar Isaac to do this six, eight episode series, whatever, and then say, thanks for your time and move on. No. Oscar Isaac as Moon Knight is going to appear in other series. He's absolutely going to appear in films. Mark my words, we will see more of Moon Knight as the years go by. So yes, you're absolutely correct, SP, that this is not this is not just the one off. You know, and to the to the Jessica Jones thing, I would say that that was and a depiction of PTSD. And I think that was very well handled, particularly as you said, that first season and dealing with that the depiction of PTSD and sexual assault, very adult themes in that show that you could do because it was Netflix. They have also indicated, however, that with Moon Knight, even though it is Disney+, Plus, they are really pushing the limits that this is not going to be a, a cutesy Disney property, that they are really pushing the boundaries of what is considered even family-friendly, dare I say. And I've read a lot of comments about folks that say that Moon Knight you know, you can't do Moon Knight without it being a hard R, and I would venture to say that that's absolutely not true, that wanton violence is not inherent to the character because the early mentions in Kevich run 
in the early 80s had some of the most iconic and classic stories about Moon Knight ever created. And you could very easily do that in a PG-13 and not even get close to an R rating because of the nature of the story. As I said, he's more brutal than Spider-Man, but he's not the Punisher. You know, the Punisher, as we saw with the John Bernthal series, it really calls for the violence. You can't do the Punisher without that level of violence. Moon Knight comes close and will go there if he has to, but he doesn't have to. And so I'm, uh, that's, one, uh, that's another thing that I'm curious to see how they're going to push that line because the shot in the trailer of him basically you know, beating seven shades out of somebody on a bathroom floor and there, there's blood on his knuckles and things. So we're not going to see a cutesy, family-friendly Moon Knight. There's going to be some blood in this series. How hard? I'm not entirely certain. But we'll find out soon enough. It does bring to my mind the issue of the parental controls, the advanced parental controls, which will be introduced to Disney Plus on or before the 16th of March 2022 as those Defender series are brought over. And part of me wonders if they're doing that as um, not necessarily a beta test, but just to do it before Moon Knight comes out because the parental controls are actually going to be needed at that point. So give everybody fair warning before Moon Knight episodes appear. I don't know. Maybe I'm just having another conspiracy theory. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I'm just going to touch on very briefly that I, that I didn't mention, I, again, I mentioned it very briefly. He is the son of a rabbi. And so he is one of the few high-profile Jewish superheroes in comics, at least in Marvel. You know, Ben Grimm is another one that comes to mind. And the notion of him struggling with his faith as the son of a rabbi and growing up with Judaism being very important to him, and then forsaking the, you know, that Judeo-Christian principle to then follow this Egyptian god, that is a concept that has been used in the comics many, many times, and the relationship that he had with his father runs hot and cold, again, depending on the writer to some extent. But the thing that I'm, I'm concerned about, one of the things that I'm concerned about, it, I should say, with respect to the series, is that I'm reading a lot of reports that he's not Jewish, that he's actually Egyptian, and that is going to tie into the imagery that is used with respect to the costuming, and that they're, that's what, one of the major things that they're going for. And I'm not trying to poo-poo the Egyptian imagery and the use of that iconography with respect to Khonshu and things of that nature, but I think the and I would hope, again, this show hasn't come out yet, so I could be wrong, but I'm hoping that they're not ignoring the aspect of his Jewish faith and using that to contrast with the Egyptian gods and things of that nature, because I think that, again, that is an underutilized aspect of the character, even within the comics. So I would really hope that I'm reading these reports wrong or that the reports are getting it incorrect. Because I think, like I said, it makes for an interesting way to show the character. And again, just by virtue of the fact that there are not many Jewish superheroes of that high profile. And, you know, we'll get the Fantastic Four in a few years. And I hope that there's at least more than just a passing reference given to to Ben's faith. Because it's an important part of who they are as characters and as people. 
Yeah. Thank you so much, Anthony. You've enlightened me definitely on the character here going into this, which I think was sorely needed, but I hope you've enlightened everybody else along the way. And I hope you're able to come back and talk some more Moon Knight later. I will absolutely come back, you know, whenever y'all have me, whether my comments on the show are positive or negative remains to be seen, but uh, they will be honest opinions. I can tell you that much. All right. Michelle, Chris, any last words here on Moon Knight? Just thank you. I never, I did not know anything about this character. Do you think the show is going to get anywhere close to telling us why Dracula owes Moon Knight money? don't know i don't know that has been a major source of discussion amongst the men moon knight uh, fandom as to whether or not we're going to see dracula and if we know why he owes him money and just how big of a nerd dracula really is that opens the whole blade door wide open too well blade it, the series the one with uh, sticky fingers from back in like 2002-ish, whatever, was going to feature Moon Knight as a character in season two, but it was canceled before they got there. All right. So that's a fun little bit of trivia. Again, I have literally um, 98% of the comics that Moon Knight has ever appeared in, including variants. I am that much of a collectionist. Yes. Definitely a source of information for anybody to tap into. So thank you very much for coming on. And uh, we're going to get on out of here. I wanted to thank Anthony for coming on tonight. I know we've mentioned it a couple of times, but this was literally at the last moment. Thank you very much, Anthony, for coming on tonight. Thank you very much to your family for allowing you to come on tonight. And thank you for sharing all of your great knowledge. And you have your own show on comics, as you mentioned before. It's a very unique take. You and your co-host, Doc, do it very well. Where can people find you if they want more of that on the comic book character backgrounds? Thank you. Thank you again, SP. And Chris and Michelle, again, many thanks to, uh, to the opportunity. It's always fun to talk Moon Knight with folks. As SP said, I am the co-host of a show called Capes on the Couch. My co-host, Doc Issues, is a board-certified psychiatrist. And each episode, we look at the mental health issues of a particular comic book character, superhero, villain, what have you. And uh, we offer, we run down a list of their various issues and we offer treatment options. And then we role play a little skit of what a therapy session with that character would sound like uh, we're coming up on issue 150 so you can find all of our episodes including the one we did on moon Knight, on our website which is capesonthecouch.com we are on all of the podcatchers with the exception of spotify and we are on facebook instagram and twitter at capes on the couch so uh, feel free to give us a like follow subscribe uh, we love hearing from all of our fans and uh, and again big fans of of this show and all the awesome gonna geek shows Yes, thank you for sharing more about Moon Knight. Thank you for everyone who listens and consumes our content. And you can find me on Twitter at shell underscore game. Yes, it's always so much fun to have new people to talk to, even though I've talked to Anthony before on my show. And if you want to hear that or maybe some other episode, you can head on over to playcomics.com where you can look for Anthony's episode. Which game we looked at is completely leaving me right now. 
Or you can check out the newest episode where I talked to Zach Jenkins and looked at X-Men Legends 2, the game that people asked about the most when coming on the show. I was listening to that episode as I was walking Cooper on Monday going, wow, I didn't know any of this. This is great. So yes, you can learn a lot by listening to both of these podcasts, Play Comics and Capes on the Couch. If you want to find me, you will find me on a show called Smoking and Drinking in Space. The latest episode when this episode drops will be on season three of The Expanse. We're covering all six seasons of The Expanse, made it through three seasons so far. We're about to record season four. I'm really amped up about it, especially with the change from sci-fi to Amazon Prime. So you can catch that over at creativebraincandy.com. And if you want to get a hold of us to talk to us about X-Men, the animated series, or Moon Knight, the upcoming series, or anything else, including Spider-Man, the movie, which we will cover as soon as it drops on streaming, you can contact us on Discord, our Discord server at gettygeek.com slash Discord, or hit us up on our Twitter account at Legends of Shield. Well, that was a very interesting, intriguing episode tonight. I learned a lot. So until next time, I'm Director SP. I'm Agent Michelle. I'm Agent Chris. I'm Consultant Anthony. We'll see everybody next time. Bye. 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 Don't forget to eat your broccoli. Thank you for listening. If you want to leave us feedback, go to gunageek.com and you will find all our contact information and other shows. You can also visit legendsofshield.com where you'll find our complete archive of podcasts. The music heard on this podcast is by Kevin McLeod, found at incompetech.com and also artists on pond5.com and audiojungle.net. The opinions heard on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and do not represent Stargate Pioneer Productions, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., or Gunna Geek. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the property of the Disney Corporation, Marvel Studios, and ABC. No infringement is intended. Is there wind inside your house? Yeah, but it's pointed at my chair. I heard something going, shh, shh, be quiet. Don't say anything. Okay. I heard there's a podcast being recorded. Oh, no. Wouldn't want to contribute to their background noise. Oh, good. It's Mario Day. Yes, it is. It's also some other days, but I chose Mario. They're not as important, though. Well, I don't want to say that yet. Okay, National Meatball Day. That is pretty important. But you can also roll that into Mario Day because he's Italian. National Get Over It Day. That could work. Just get over it. National Barbie Day. That is one of the complete in-box NES games that I have. National Registered Dietitian Nutritionist Day. No, thank you. I had pizza rolls for dinner. I like that one. All right. And and more importantly, National Crab Meat Day. Okay, that one's pretty important, too. And as luck would have it, I had crab cakes for dinner. Well, as somebody who lives by the coast with a wife who hates seafood, 
I love when we go to restaurants that have good seafood. But it's got to be good seafood. Well, I mean, it's Charleston. We're not going to go to the places that have bad seafood. He's clicking on the link. He'll be here soon. Oh, I can show him my Moon Knight comics. Because they're all here in the room with me. Sound like you're in a cave. I know why. You moved away. Same. Sound like you're in a cave. I, I might be in a cave of comics. With a bunch of scraps! Today was a good mail day, though. Yeah. We got our second round of COVID tests from the United States Postal Service. Mine was more fun, but probably less useful. That's debatable, depending on if you need the test or not. So did you get comics in the mail? Yeah. Kickstarter version of Dr. Crow. Nice. And some Momoko covers. You've been big, big into Momoko lately. I just really love her art. Oh, nice. I know. Uh, what's the title? Like Shang-Chi. Oh, too nice. bad I didn't have this one to show off while we were looking at the movie. And the best one of all. Oh, yeah, for you. Yeah. Nice. What's your fascination with her anyway? Part of it is because when I went into the comic store to get a pull list started, I really didn't want to go in there and not buy anything. And so I saw one of the trades of Shonda McGuire's run and I got it and it just kind of instantly hit with me there. But a lot of it is just, I've always kind of been a Spider-Man person, Okay, but this has a little bit more of a, her just having to deal with things that she's done in the past and kind of get past that and get past people remembering that that's what she's like. And then we kind of break the podcast ice on Mike by going through a national day. It's National Mario Day today. So yes, we'll be, I, I did uh, see that. So we'll be using that. And then we go in a little shtick just to get our... To me, Anthony. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, we're going to talk about the X-Men. Show. <laughs> Woo. Wow. We're in for a time here. Good time. You have to leave the broccoli comment in, though. I always do. Okay, good. We'll explain it next week if we need to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You can throw it on the previously on if you want. Chris, I don't want to dictate anything with you with the previously on, but I, want to, I would like to make a request. You do Anthony's line of where he's like, I'm Lady, I'm Lady Deathstrike. You could my father prepared. Could, could we have that in the previously on? Please? I'm shocked that you thought you would have to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm see, I see. This is why you're, you, why you see, are a great like addition this. to the show. Good. Yeah. See, they've all been good so far. Oh, fantastic. Also, Anthony's show is very easily cherry pickable on which characters you want to look at. Okay, cool. Like the yeah. only real crossover they have with things between episodes is, yeah, we've talked about this issue too much, so we're going to skip that one and look at everything else. Cool. Yeah, all the titles are clearly labeled, so 
you know, whatever interests you. But yeah, they do. I, I meant to talk to him about it at the end, but we had gone an hour and a half. I was going to bring up the fact that I like in this age of superheroes that we're all talking about flawed characters in some way, fashion, or form, and that they all could use therapy. And this is the therapy that they're going to get. You know, you break down their character, you break down their psychological being, and then say, okay, this is how I would try to help them because they, of course, need help. Like we've been joking on several characters, they just need to get into therapy. Yeah. Well, this is what they would do. So, yeah, it's, I've always enjoyed their show. I haven't listened to every episode just because I haven't had time, but if one, I'm subscribed to their show and if one pops up that, I'm interested in it. I definitely will watch or will listen to it. So, and also they're on YouTube. So I could actually have it on in the background at work, at least on the days that we can get YouTube. Cause sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. I'm kind of confused on that. <laughs> Legends of shield is copyright 2013 through 2022.